0: we're going to be hearing from John Reinhardt, who, Laura, I'm so excited about this one, because John um, has become a good friend, and we've gotten to know him and his wife pretty well, and also his ministry called Gospel Patrons who that he started years ago. He's written a book called Gospel Patrons and followed it up with a book called Giving Together, and we get to delve into some of that.
1: Yeah, and it's all about Christian generosity, which... I think is such a great topic and we just don't hear much about. We met him at the Jesus Film Project a couple years ago at a briefing. He was a keynote speaker and we got to hear his story and meet his wife and his family. And I love how he kind of turns the whole idea of generosity upside down and shows Jesus's point of view. And it's not just about the usual 10% we hear about in tithing. He really takes us on adventure generosity.
0: We also get to hear from him specifically about a story from his book giving together which is i said a more practical book and how this book is influencing an everyday person and one story that really influenced me in a profound way was the experiment of the rich young ruler and you'll hear more about that in the podcast yeah
1: he he touches on that and then later in our show notes you can actually we will have links to videos he has done on his website gospelpatrons.org where you can watch these stories really unfold and they're pretty awesome videos. And also, Joe, I loved when re listening to this, I loved when you asked John why generosity. I thought that was such a great question. And he actually likes that question as well. And <laughs> actually ends up telling you a story about a talk he heard about the love of mammon, which means money and possessions as our God. And the guy speaking that he heard from had said that mammon is the greatest rival to faith in Jesus. So money and possessions as our God is the greatest rival to faith in Jesus. And John says back to him, okay, then what would it look like to live like that? And the speaker said a lot different. It would look a lot different. So let's just dive in and hear John give us his thoughts about generosity. John, thanks for
0: being with us today.
2: Glad to. This is great.
0: So, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, so I think maybe most people would have heard of a book that I wrote called Gospel Patrons. It's been out for five years. It was really a journey that my wife and I discovered on a trip around the world. We were 29 years old. We were young, a little dumb, a little excited, a little passionate. Mm -hmm. And we put all of our stuff in storage after I finished seminary. And we traveled the world for four and a half months. And our two goals were to become global Christians and to learn to walk by faith. And it was on that trip where God just does incredible things when you're outside of your comfort zone. And he met us in Sydney, Australia, through a friend of a friend who shared this idea that God has always used business people behind the scenes, fueling and funding great movements of God. And that idea exploded in our heads in a way that brought together our business backgrounds, my seminary degree and passion for the Lord, and out came this blue book called Gospel Patrons. I thought that was a one-time assignment and I finished it. Okay, Lord, move me on to something else. And God just kept saying, um, your
0: vision is not big
2: enough. My vision for you is so much greater than just writing a book.
0: So I know from talking previously that you weren't always um, interested in ministry, right? You had a different profession at some point. Tell us a little bit about how you... What you started with and then how you made that transition.
2: Yeah, I studied business in college. I came from a business family. My wife came from a business family. so I was a business marketing student. She was a business accounting. We were like this power business couple. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that yeah, fun. I got my first job selling copy machines, which sounds like a very kind of boring sales job, uh, but it was really challenging and a, and really good a really good training ground at the same time. Uh, actually, the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, started selling copy machines. So I'm in decent company. <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> nice. So I, you said gospel Christians. Can you elaborate on that for a minute? I haven't heard oh, I that didn't. term. Or you said global. Oh, we, I'm so sorry. You said global. Yeah, we
2: yeah we wanted Christians. to become.
1: So that was kind of yeah. Your on goal. the trip
2: around the world, we wanted to become global Christians. I mean, we had traveled to Europe and we'd done a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But there's a sense when you travel, a lot of times you're just going for you. I want to see Italy, or I want to see Hawaii, or wh- whatever it is. But we this trip was really different. We wanted to see what God was doing, not just what we were doing, You know, what we wanted to see and do. We didn't want to just stay at nice places. We wanted to see what God was doing. So every stop on the four-and-a-half-month yeah. trip around the world was trying to connect with believers, missionaries, business people doing mm-hmm. business as mission. Whatever was going on there, we wanted to see it. And so we were often just praying and asking God, daily you know show us what you want us to see take us where you want us to go open our eyes mm-hmm. to see and feet and hearts to feel whatever you wh- wherever you want us to go lead us and so it became a journey of story after story after story of sort of like going on a trip around the world with Jesus instead of just going on your own it was awesome that sounds
1: like a that sounds <laughs> like another great like,
2: I think my, I think my <laughs> wife wants yeah. to write that <laughs> one
1: okay good, but i'm i'm yeah. looking forward to that already So can you tell us a little bit about your first book? I've read it and loved it, Gospel Patrons, and we heard you speak about it before, and it's this great idea we don't hear much about. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Yeah, Gospel Patrons is a term that was coined in Sydney, Australia uh, by this businessman that I met and his mentor. And and really the idea is if you think of patrons of the arts, or you think of patrons of scientific research or something, they're, they're the people who, we get it, they're behind the scenes funding it, making it happen. They're not the artists painting the Sistine Chapel. They're the one commissioning the work, having some vision for it, and then and laying out the resources for it. We've r- rarely ever associated the term patrons with gospel ministry or the spread of God's word. But the pattern that we see in scripture and all throughout history is that God is gonna raise up people of different gifts to work together. And when they do, when the business leaders and the generosity leaders partner with the ministry leaders, watch out, God does explosive things. So the book Gospel Patrons is really three stories from history, starting with William Tyndale, who was the first one to translate the Bible from the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament and Hebrew of the Old Testament into English. And his patron, who was a wealthy cloth merchant, kind of going up to the Great Awakening in the 18th century. John Newton had a patron, the writer of Amazing Grace. And so we're looking at these partnerships of how business leaders and pastors or business leaders and Bible translators or evangelists have always worked together. And and it's sort of a call to that again today because I think 95% of people will never be a pastor or a missionary and oftentimes feel like second-class Christians what's my role? Am I just a spectator in the stands cheering on the guys doing the real sort of ministry work? Or do I actually have a valuable role? And the book is just consistently holding up. You have a valuable role from God, no matter what your profession or background or education or experience is, God wants to use you to make an incredible difference in the world right where you're at.
1: And that ties in pretty well with the second book you wrote.
2: Yeah. So it came out with a new book called Giving Together just as a few months out now. And it's a really different book, but really exciting. I think the most popular question I kept getting for the last four years after writing Gospel Patrons was, what do I do now? I'm I'm excited by the vision. I love those stories. I love those examples from history. I want to be like that. What do I do? Yeah,
1: How can I be a part of that?
2: Yeah. yeah, and I wrestled with that going, well, I don't want to just point people to my favorite charities and churches. I love the Jesus Film. I can say this with you guys. On the record, I love the Jesus <laughs> Film. You're safe. But who, yeah. yeah, but everybody who asks me, I can't just say, well, be a gospel patron of the Jesus film. Like, what's how's God leading different people into the things, He's good works he's prepared for them, Ephesians 2.10. Hmm. And so I wanted to create some sort of process uh, because being a gospel patron is more about having a certain kind of heartbeat or a mindset than it is about giving a certain percentage or an amount. And so how do we get the heartbeat of a generous person who wants to advance advance God's kingdom? You know, we know with Jesus that it it took him three years to transform fishermen and tax collectors and these kind of guys into world-changing apostles who are going to lead the church into the new era. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't one weekend or one sermon series that he did. Like, he journeyed with them. And so giving together is the subtitle is an adventure in generosity. And it's meant to be a journey that small groups of people, whether it's a small group from a church or a book club or businessmen's gathering or a prayer, you know, a couple of prayer partners, or even a family go through together to kind Mm -hmm. of test this out and learn to gain a heartbeat of generosity. And so there's practical training exercises in there, just real practically assignments that you will do in giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what I love about that is most people think, wait, isn't, isn't the goal of giving 10% and then just put that on repeat for the rest of my life? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is saying, no, the goal is actually a heartbeat and that only happens through training exercises, through actually doing it. We learn to give by giving. So this is my call for that. But I love this idea
0: of experimenting, just trying things out, you know? That's right. I love it. So I
1: started reading it. But I didn't get yet to, I would love to know. Give me one experiment to kind of yeah. get us excited about this.
2: One of my favorites is, is chapter five. It's called the rich young ruler experiment. And most people, when they okay. think about giving are like, Lord, don't send me to Africa to build an orphanage or don't ask me to sell everything I have and give it to the poor. I mean, this is a, like, this is people's real fears. <laughs> and yes. God, do I really, does giving mean I have to sell everything? Well, um, I, th- I think the reason that Jesus asked the rich young ruler to sell everything, because he was saying, hey, everything else, your money and possessions are first place in your life. I, wa- I don't take second place. So you got to let go of that. So the, the rich young ruler experiment is to say, what would it be like if Jesus said, sell something that you own, sell something that you value and trade it in for what you value even more? It's, it's a unique experience because we don't even have to have money in the bank to do this experiment. We don't have to, you're not giving out of your, you're you're giving out of your possessions instead. It's something that we see the early church doing in Acts 2 and Acts 4, selling their possessions and giving to the poor, meeting one another's needs. But somehow it seems to have missed uh, 21st century American Christianity. (laughs) And so uh, there's just a great story on our website. uh, If you check out gospelpatrons.org slash, you know, books, you can look at giving together. And there's a great story of a guy who did this in one of the beta groups. And I didn't tell people what to sell. I just said, you know, imagine if Jesus came to you and said, sell something you own and give it to the poor. Do that and do it in the next week and we'll come back and talk about it. Well, as soon as I dropped that assignment on him, the Holy Spirit said, you need to sell your record collection. And he that he said he said no. I'm not selling my vinyl record collection. He was a surfer, <laughs> cool guy, artist. And God said, sell your record collection. He actually gave him a dream that night that he was supposed to sell his record collection. So the guy's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and he took all of his records down to a you know used record store, dropped them on the counter, and there were hundreds and hundreds of records. And he just told the guy, pick through it, take whatever you want to take. And he ends up feeling mm-hmm. prompted by the Lord to take this wad of cash that he got from his record collection and slip it into the hand of a needy person, a needy woman in their church. And he was changed, she was changed, his kids got to go on the journey. Um, what, what generosity might be unlocked if we started to even consider our possessions as gods? And if you want me to sell it, I'll sell it.
0: Wonderful. Um, why generosity? What's so important about generosity for Christ followers?
2: That's such a great question. It's a question that almost never gets asked. I'll tell you a couple stories if I can, short stories to answer that question. Sure. A year ago, I was invited to a gathering called the Global Generosity Roundtable. It was 42 leaders from around the world, no crowds, no audience, 42 leaders who were entrepreneurs, pastors, scholars, and academics, and leaders of ministries like me who had a passion for generosity to come together and talk about the need for, the need for this very conversation around generosity. All of us were required to give a 10 to 15 minute presentation, and all of us were required to write an article, which meant we were all the speakers and we were all the audience. And this New Testament scholar, Craig Blomberg, who's written 25 books, he's a Denver seminary professor, he gets up for his presentation. And in the midst of his presentation, he says says this sentence. He says, mammon, which mammon's a word that's almost taken out of most English versions of the Bible today. But he said, Mammon, which is money and possessions as God, is the greatest rival to faith in Jesus. Mm. You know, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and Mammon. He said, Mammon, which is money and possessions as God, is the single greatest rival to faith in Jesus. Mm. Hmm. And I sat there and he kept going with his talk and I was just waiting for the Q&A time. (laughs) The Q&A time comes, I shoot my long arm up in the air, they call on me and I said, you know, uh, Mr. Blomberg, uh, unbelievable presentation. I just have one question. What if we really believed that? (laughs) You just said that money is the greatest rival or mammon is the greatest rival to our faith in Jesus. If we knew what the number one rival was, What if we actually really believe that? And he thought for a minute and then just looked back at me and said, well, then a lot would change. A lot would change.
0: Hmm. Wow. True.
2: Five months later, I'm sitting with a guy who's a pastor uh, at a large church here in Southern California, and he says a statement very similar. He says, John, the greatest obstacle to our faith in Jesus in our culture is money. And I said, whoa, whoa!" I paused him. Whoa, whoa, that's a really strong statement. Like, how can you just say that? The greatest obstacle in our culture to faith in Jesus is money. And he says, well, it's easy because that's what Jesus said. He said, you know, the parable of the soils. Everybody knows the parable of the soils. And he says, sower goes out to sow seed. He scatters lots of seed. It lands on four different kinds of soil. The first kind, it gets snatched away. Second kind's rocky, doesn't go anywhere. Third kind, it it goes down, comes back up, produces fruit, but gets choked out. Fourth kind bears 30, 60, 100-fold fruitfulness. And then he said, in the third kind of soil, the word does its work. It produces a crop that's beginning to sprout up, but it gets choked out. And it gets choked out by money, he says that Jesus tells us in Mark four nineteen the desire for riches, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things and cares of the world. He said two and a half of those are financial, that the deceitfulness of riches is choking mm-hmm. us out. And we see this all over 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's saying people, by their desire for riches, wander away from the faith. They pierce themselves with many pangs. So, if you're looking at the greatest rival and the greatest obstacle, you go, "Well, what is the antidote?" (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you want to know the antidote to the greatest rival to your faith in Jesus and your friend's faith and your family's faith and your culture's faith? If you if there was an antidote, what is it? And the antidote is generosity. Jesus talked about it all the time. What if we had the (laughs) antidote for the number one rival? to our faith in Jesus. Well, we actually do, we just don't wanna do it. It's called generosity. We <laughs> believed a lot of myths about generosity. We think it's a duty or it's for the uber wealthy, or it's you know it's gotta be a certain amount or percentage. And Jesus is saying, you know, money can have a stranglehold on any of our lives and any of our hearts. And generosity is the antidote. Let it go, open your hands and watch what God's gonna do. You get so much joy. God bears so much fruit through your lives. And it solves the number one rival or obstacle that you have. So generosity is kind of this uh, amazing thing that almost nobody talks about, but I'm glad we're talking about it today.
1: <laughs> so I see somewhat of a people agreeing to give yeah. to an extent and it makes them feel good and the causes they believe in and even, you know, shelling out money someone on the corner and all so i just think what you're saying generosity if that's a different level because i do i feel like a lot of people and our friends included are up for giving some and being generous some because it is it does make you feel good (laughs) and it's maybe the right thing to do so when you say generous i think of sacrificial giving and that feels key what do you think about that yeah
2: it's for me it's a hard thing to judge sacrificial giving because instead of carrying a Louis Vuitton yeah. handbag, you could carry one you bought at Costco. Instead of carrying one at Costco, you could carry a paper sack. And it would carry your stuff around just as well. So how do you decide what sacrificial yeah. is? That, that's the hard part for me. But we do notice from Scripture, Luke 21, that there's one woman that Jesus praises for her generosity. And it's the woman who puts in two copper coins, mm-hmm. all she had to live on. Mm-hmm. I mean... And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. It says in that passage that people were coming, putting in mm-hmm. larger sums than her. But then Jesus says she put in more based on the size of her sacrifice. Jesus declares mm-hmm. her two copper coins as more than larger sums. He's working off a different economy than we are with generosity, which I love because it's an encouragement for those of us who don't have huge amounts of resources to say, hey, he's, he's paying attention. He cares. He sees and he's willing to reward yeah. and bless and, you know, even even praises this woman publicly. So I, I think the other factor mm-hmm. that if, if we could enter this into the conversation on giving and generosity is this little thing that we believe in called eternity. <laughs> e- mm-hmm. Eternity That's is a game changer <laughs> for us. You know, this metaphor, uh, the metaphor that we're meant to live with as Christians is that we're pilgrims on, on our way to our true and better country on our way to our true and better home. And if we're pilgrims, we're not going to put the you know the tent pegs in too deeply because we're going to have to pick them up and keep moving. And so often it seems like in the at least in the culture that we live in here in Southern California that people are wanting their forever home. They're wanting to set up shop, they're wanting to build their kingdom as if we're not on a journey heading to a better country and a truer home. And Jesus says to us store up treasure mm-hmm. in heaven. Put it put your money and invest it where it's never going to you know, rot or rust or be stolen or taken away. And I, I feel like we miss eternity a lot when, with our use of money. We just kind of hear the voices of the world and do what the world says. And Jesus is bringing eternity always back into view when we think about money and says, wait, wait a second, your investment in your startup or your stock that you're really, really excited about is going to last 20 or 30 years. But your generosity for my kingdom,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it, it's unending. It's going to last two thousand years or two million years. You're mm-hmm. storing up treasure in heaven. Like, what's the better investment? You know, so uh, eternity is always a game changer. It needs to in, be inserted more often into these money and giving and generosity conversations. That's what Jesus did. Yeah,
1: for sure. I think that's what keeps us giving, for sure, and yeah. what it makes us want to give us. Yeah, is the eternal perspective.
0: So what would you say to the person that says, well, John, that's all well and good, but what about prudently saving for the future, for college, for kids college, for retirement, for all these, you know, seemingly really good things? What would you tell that? Person?
2: That's a great question. I feel very underqualified to a- answer that. So all <laughs> all I can say is from my own <laughs> personal experience. Um, <laughs> Who it on the outline? <laughs> <laughs> No, that's fine. I, I think it's a, I think it's a relevant question because whenever we are called to do what Jesus actually calls us to do, all these other voices in our heads and our hearts rise up and push back to say, "Well, what about? Well, what about? Well, what about? Let's do it later. Let's do it when you're when you can mm-hmm. afford it. Let's mm-hmm. do it when you don't have needs. Let's do it when the kids are in college." Um, I have a friend named John Cortinas wrote a great book called God and Money, and he has a quote that I love, and he he just says. If I was waiting for the right time to be generous, right now he he's got young kids like I do. He said I I would be preparing for their college and trying to perhaps buy a home, and after that I would probably be you know preparing for retirement and I would be planning for the you know future years, sunset years of my life, and then playing with my grandkids and taking care of them. And he said I I could actually if I don't start now I could actually go through my whole life and probably never have been generous. The time to start is not later. The time to start is now. Jesus says so consistently, be faithful with what you have, not with what you don't have. Don't judge your giving based on other people and what God's given them. Judge your giving based on what God's given you. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. And so... I think there's a lot of excuses that we make to actually not just start, but I think once you start with generosity, it's so self-reinforcing. You just go, man, this is awesome. I get so much joy. God's kingdom is growing. People are being blessed. I'm storing up treasure for in heaven. I'm becoming more like Jesus. God's getting worship. This is awesome. I, I would just want to say to someone who says that, I understand those, those tensions that we have to manage. This is not just one bucket or another bucket. But don't let any amount of tension stop you from taking your first step in generosity and giving.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Wonderful.
1: Well, one thought I don't know who said it, but is also you have the money now and you actually don't know it's good. the year what your paycheck's gonna be. So if you can make the sacrifice now,
2: Go for it. Proverbs says that our wealth sprouts wings and flies away. You know, So a lot of people would say, well, I'm going to invest a lot now, so I have a huge nest egg to give later. So I'm like, well, that, that nest egg later is actually not guaranteed, mm-hmm. no matter how good your business portfolio looks or your investments right. look. That nest egg in the future is very uncertain.
0: So John, what's next for Gospel Patrons?
2: Yeah, well, Gospel Patrons began with one book, and I thought that was the assignment I needed to fulfill. And then it became two books, just launching a book called Giving Together. If you haven't seen that, it's really exciting, a very complimentary book to Gospel Patrons. And then we, be, we began filming short films of modern-day Gospel Patrons. And so we're telling stories of people today, how God is leading them through their generosity, oftentimes as business and professional people, to play major roles in spreading the Gospel to their church and to the nations. And so, we've begun a series of short documentary films and even put those together into a film night where we're renting out theaters in various cities around the world and doing a film night tour of taking these stories to places like London and Sydney and Southern California and Texas, West Texas. It's just fun to see that these stories are spreading. And what's fun about it is that for many, many people, they've never actually seen a film on someone who's a believer who's giving very generously not for their name to be put on a building but for the sake of the gospel spreading. And so it's it's disruptive, it's exciting, it's thrilling. It's one of those times where people walk out of the theater and their heads are kind of still spinning going, "I need 2 days to process what I just saw because this is a different vision for life. This is a different dream than the American dream." And I think I could make some different choices in my life. I think I could live differently. So we're continuing to film more short documentary films, you know, 10 to 15 minute films, but we're also taking this film night tour on the road and it's been really fun. We'd love anybody to join us uh, as you check out our site, gospelpatrons.org slash events and see if it's in a city coming near you. Um, We have have a lot of things going on these days. I'm speaking, continue to write, but uh, this film night tour and these short films are all for free. We're giving them all away. We want people to have a better Mm -hmm. dream for their lives than the vision that we're often sold and pitched
0: great well john we're so pleased to have you today yeah. and thank you so much for your time this has been excellent
1: yeah i feel like we could go on and on about this we might have to have you on again generosity
0: great. part Thanks, two that's right and um to find out more about john reinhardt his ministry gospel patrons we're going to put in the podcast notes a way to get to his website and all the materials he has for you